All right, Ben, Mike, the Vikings wrap up the offseason program by taking some more time to build team chemistry, bonding, uh, collaboration, chemistry. Those are all the buzzwords of the initial spring under rookie head coach Kevin O'Connell as they try to move on from the Mike Zimmer era and establish a new dawn in Minnesota Vikings football. And they do that by putting a cap on the offseason program by doing some more team bonding on Thursday of this week, uh, which was a day to end. It was scheduled to end their three-day mandatory mini camp. They instead took this third day off the field. Ben, you wrote about the different uh, events they've had from Adam Thielen's softball game to the top golf outing they had, I believe it was last week, to um, what they're doing today. I believe O'Connell referenced a team barbecue um, it was an organization-wide barbecue. Organization we, are, we are taking collaboration beyond the locker room. Wow. <laughs> beyond the locker room. Um, you'd asked uh, Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins about all this yesterday and talked to some other players. Um, I found it interesting what Kirk had said just about, you know, it's hard to quantify how this is going to help us yeah. you know, in a fourth quarter to win a game. But this is certainly part of the new approach that they're trying to take, right? Yeah, it was it was interesting to hear Kirk's takes on it because, I mean, he said something about, yeah, it, it's hard to, I think the line was, it was actually a pretty good line. Um, it's hard to quantify how time spent at Top Golf in June translates to wins in December or fourth quarter wins or something like that. But he said, but I've been around team sports too long to believe that it doesn't translate to something. Um you can take that how you like. I think that's, you know, that's a guy that's been playing team sports since high school, college, um, has a lot of years in locker rooms, has been around teams that get along, teams that don't get along. Um, I think he's probably looking at his own history there. But I think in a recent context, especially, there is plenty of reason to think that um, the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings may have recent experience about what it's like when you don't get along with your head coach. So, um, and it's not just the head coach that we're talking about here, but Kevin O'Connell certainly is facilitating a lot of this with the idea that if we all get along better, if we all know each other, if we feel like I have this guy's best interests in mind, that I'm going to hold myself accountable to play for this guy. I'm going to hold this guy accountable to play for me. And it all just works better. Um, you know, you could sit here and say, you know, roll your eyes at it and say, well, how are you going to win games? How is going bowling or playing top golf or whatever going to help you win games? I think you can also make the case is how does one more practice in June really going to help put you over the top? I mean, NFL coaches sort of make it seem like the practice time you get every second is so precious that you can't sacrifice any of them. And we heard Kevin O'Connell this week say, we have enough time to get our blitz packages the way we want them. We can have our pass rushers go half speed at this point of the year, because we will have enough time to get it all done. So I think the idea that you have to grind every last second of practice is probably also a little bit overblown. So it's certainly a different approach. It, I don't know if we'll really ever be able to quantify exactly what it impact it has on their one loss record this fall, but uh, it, at least from cousins and O'Connell, it's been interesting to watch. I, I put this in my story today, but, there was a long conversation between the two of them at Adam Thielen's soft, softball thing last week. Cousins was playing on the offensive team, of course, and O'Connell threw out the first pitch. And so O'Connell walks over to the offensive side. They're kind of just hanging along the dugout. And I think he's, you know, it kind of starts by him 
and Kirk just kind of needling each other about O'Connell threw the pitch underhanded, which like, okay, it's softball, I guess, but it seemed a little silly. So the, just kind of good natured ribbing about Cousins swing or O'Connell's pitch, whatever. But this conversation goes on for a long time. And I see O'Connell over there almost motioning with his hands like he was talking about pass sets or something like that. I mean, it looked like it had turned into a, a football conversation. I wasn't standing close enough to be able to hear it, but it certainly seemed like it had turned into two guys uh, kind of bouncing ideas off of each other of, hey, what do you like? What do you think of this idea in the the course of the offense? And I just thought this would not have happened last year. This this kind of exchange of ideas between the head coach and the quarterback would not have happened in that capacity whatsoever. So um, I think even in that sense, to see how Cousins is feeling about all of this is kind of interesting to just, just to keep an eye on. Because I, as we've talked about, he is the type that if he feels like he's got people in his corner, I think it is going to matter to him. And, and uh, it certainly seems like O'Connell is doing everything he can to give that impression at this point. Yeah, and just as far as the relationships between head coaches and quarterbacks and the juxtaposition between the way it was, which should be the soap opera that was the Minnesota Vikings last year. Um, I caught up Linda Ronstadt song, The Way We Were. <laughs> there you go. I caught up flowers anymore, Mike. I caught up with Matt Castle at uh, a Vikings golf tournament this week, and I just asked him about that 2008 season where he was ended up playing. That was the year he went 10 and five as a starter. The Pats went 11 and five and he did really well. Obviously after Tom Brady went down, Kevin O'Connell got drafted to that team uh, was the backup quarterback and had mentioned how every Tuesday, all of the quarterbacks would meet with Bill Belichick, not an offensive head coach, obviously would come in on their off day to meet with Bill Belichick and they would sit down and they would discuss in detail the upcoming defensive coordinator that they were facing. And he would go through talking points about this is what this coach likes to do. This is what you're going to be facing. And then they would go obviously down the list and do that with the roster and the depth chart of the defensive guys from Bill Belichick's perspective. And that was kind of Kevin O'Connell's as Matt Castle called it really his graduate studies into jumping into the NFL. And it was not what you typically see across the NFL. And Matt Castle played for Mike Zimmer played for many teams across his NFL career and was very, very aware how different that was compared to uh, the normal or not normal, but different experiences that you face in the NFL with different head coaches. And so it took the fourth year between Zimmer and Cousins for Cousins, as you've mentioned, to walk up to him and be like, hey, we should sit down and talk film. And it had to be Kirk's idea, not the head coach's idea, uh, with his ninth different play caller in his career, whatever it would have been at that point. And so just the juxtaposition of how these things are handled differently by different people, the relationships, all those things, um, you know, we'll see how much it really matters, but it certainly creates a different environment and allows for the transfer idea of ideas a lot differently. As you mentioned, Ben, that just happening at a charity softball tournament in a way that we never would have seen that happen in seven years under Mike Zimmer. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty low key. I mean, Zimmer and Teddy, I think did that, um, you know, I, th- I think they had kind of a weekly standing meeting and I think they were fairly able to kind of exchange ideas, but, you know, Teddy had a relationship with Zimmer as we've talked about many times that no quarterback after Teddy had. So I think that is, it's interesting to hear the, the O'Connell anecdote through Matt Castle, because you wonder how much of the approach of coaching O'Connell picked up from a guy like Bill Belichick, because, at that point, Belichick has three rings and 
he's not at six like he is now, but three is still awfully good. I mean, he's already established his Hall of Fame credentials at that point. So I don't know at what point O'Connell kind of decided I need, I should start looking ahead at this and figuring out, you know, how much of this stuff I want to copy or incorporate in my own coaching career if I become a head coach. But I'm sure that's in the back of his mind it, that you can uh, affect another side of the ball just by your presence and just by having those discussions in a, in a pretty major way. I mean, he has talked, I think he's gone out of his way to talk about spending time with the defense and how he wants to spend time with the defense and how he gets excited about the defense. He said that yesterday. Um, and he, when Shannon Sullivan picked off Kellen Mond and ran it back at the end of practice and basically was running down the sideline until Ole Udo came up and pulled a Don Beebe and shoved him to the ground. And O'Connell said, do I like it when, Shannon's uh it wasn't Shannon Sullivan it was Perry Nickerson Sullivan broke up the one on the first team anyway so Perry Nickerson and O'Connell says something about do I like seeing that and you you almost expect him to go as an offensive coach no I don't like seeing that but he goes I do I like seeing that I love it because I love seeing our defense get excited and make plays there is I think been this effort to reach out to the defense and say I am going to be I, I will be your president too even if you didn't vote for me in so many words um so some of that may come from that, but some of it, like you said, may come from seeing Belichick do it a certain way and saying, okay, if this guy's doing this, it's probably worth me noting. Yeah, or certainly the the different influences he's had working with Sean McVay and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I think there's uh, this – I was going to get to this later in the podcast, but it, what we were talking about here and just the different approaches made me think of um, talking with Garrett Bradbury yesterday – and him talking about how just the mental side of things are so different this time around for him and how he feels like that can make a big difference. Because I think Garrett admitted last year to falling into some complacency with the job and then he ended up losing his job to Mason Cole for a brief time in November. And um, talking, I asked him just kind of, how's he doing? Just, you know, the Vikings declining his fifth year option, making him enter a contract year this year, all the criticism he's gotten. Um, and certainly had heard it from Mike Zimmer directly over his three years playing under him. And Garrett said, I feel good. There's a new light, a new energy in the building. And I think that's a good thing. I think our locker room and our team will be as close as ever. And I think that plays a big key in how you perform on and off the field, how you're doing mentally, it all matters. And so that all rolls into what we're talking about here with these team building team chemistry, building events, um, just the coaching staff trying to relate to the players a little bit more than, you know, maybe the head guy did before, or maybe even some of the assistants did. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see, certainly with players like Kirk, like with Garrett, two very important players on the offense, how that ends up playing out. Um, ben, you'd mentioned Kevin being uh, happy about uh, Ole Udo and the, de the defense getting riled up, you know, after a pick six, basically off Kellen Mond to end one of their 11 on 11 periods. Um, I'm sure he wasn't too happy though, to see Chandon Sullivan rock Adam Thielen in that first team drill. Yes. And, that, and it seemed that that was cut short prematurely. Cause I don't think that was a fourth down pass or anything like that in their situational drill. It seemed like they ended that drill prematurely because of that contact. Yep. And it seems like Kevin O'Connell was trying to take in general, a less is more approach to the physicality side of things. This spring, he preached getting everybody out healthy, um, and not really trying to go full speed all the time. We saw them go full speed in some seven on sevens. And then just those situational drills when it came to their 11 on 11s. 
But I, I got a kick out of as soon as Shannon Sullivan jarred Adam Thielen in the back, a 32-year-old yeah. wide receiver, they were like, oh, nope, let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, because I think that was third down. And they it was a the, the sitch drill, as we like to call them sometimes during practice. Um, they were, I think the offense was down 14 to 10, so they needed a touchdown to win the sitch drill. And uh, that was not fourth down. So, yes, I think you're right. Because I remember thinking there, what, what happened here? Because – this is third down. Why are we just wrapping it up? But yes, that was the play where it was almost like a cross check in the back uh, that Sullivan put on Thielen. Maybe uh, forgetting that he's not playing for the Packers anymore. I don't know. But um, yeah, that did end it right there. And I think he, he probably was trying to say, okay, let's just get out of here with everybody intact because there's not a lot of depth, at least proven depth in the receiver position. So you don't want to lose a guy like that at this point of things, especially a guy like Thielen that's had some nagging injuries in the past couple of years. But, yes, overall, I mean, O'Connell said it yesterday, too, that you could go and say, well, it's football. you got to go 11 on 11. you got to go hard. And he said, I, I just think you're, you're uh, asking for trouble or something to that effect if you do that. So it is either a very intentionally – offered olive branch to the roster the first time around or a very different philosophy than what we've seen in the past but 75 minute practices not a lot of 11 on 11 full speed stuff I will be very interested to see how much of that carries over into training camp and at whatever point they say we need to practice more I I don't know but at this point they seem fairly comfortable with not spending as much time on the field, not going as hard when they do it and saying, we trust you guys to be on top of things on your own based on what you learn, what you study on your own time. And what we get on the practice field, we don't need to belabor everything we do to be effective. Yeah, Mike, it's a far cry from the two a days up at Bemidji state and training camp. Certainly. Well, it is. And it, you know, it, it goes back to something I think we've talked about a few times on the podcast already and in, in, previous kind of off-season episodes but when you do things so differently you know and it's you know it's not that they're just trying to be different I'm sure Kevin O'Connell has his own philosophy his own approach that he's bringing to his first job but when you do something so differently from your predecessor and a lot of the players are the same all you're changing in a lot of cases here is the system it's not like you're not like you don't have some new players obviously you got you know Zadarius Smith we talked about the new additions but you know a lot of the key guys, especially the quarterback, you know, a lot of the skill position guys are the same. When you when you do things so differently with the same people, you're really putting your philosophy on the line. Now, we're going to learn a lot about how effective this is right away. I mean, we shouldn't expect it to be, you know, maybe it takes a little time. I don't know. So we're not going to like judge them like, oh, if they lose week one to the Packers, this is a failure. But I do think there's a certain element of pressure you put on yourself when you are so different when the previous regime didn't have massive amounts of success, but they, you know, they won, you know, Zimmer won probably close to 60% of his games here. Right. I mean, they did have a certain level of success with kind of this, you know, more by the book um, kind of older school philosophy. So you are going to see whether or not this does improve the outcome or if it just makes the process feel better. I do remember after the meetings with the leadership council, the player leadership council with guys like Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks and all that. And this was entering, I believe, last off season. Um, off shells? 
Yeah, when the players union uh, in general across the league was fighting uh, a return to full OTAs amid the pandemic, um, that was when Zimmer, I think, started to pull the reins back a little bit when it came to May and June stuff. But um, I don't think we would have certainly seen what we saw, as Ben mentioned, 75-minute practices, uh, not even going full speed in all the 11-on-11 stuff. Um, That's all very different from what we've seen in the past. So I wouldn't look some of this up this week because you have to do this when you're going to write about it. Um, 2016, they canceled the last day of mini camp. Um, and then that season, at any time they tried to do anything to give players a break that year, the season went badly, which uh, I guess that was no more of that because I think that was the year they sent them home a week early from the bye as well. So they canceled last day of it. And then the next year it was like, we didn't go to the playoffs. So we have to put the last day back together. Ended a little bit early, I think. But then um, 2021, they canceled the last day of it as well, which is maybe a a concession to some of the players. But this whole idea of the team bonding events, Zimmer got asked about this in 2015. Because I I think he went on the radio and said something about, you know, we team build by winning and uh, we're not going to win by, uh, I don't remember what the Packers were doing at the time, shooting pool or, or something. And we followed up with him about it at a press conference. And he basically said, uh, that's not for us. That's that's not how we do things. We we need to practice. We need to get better. We team build by winning. So, um, yeah, I, I I think it's fair to say that the previous head coach, to whatever extent he's paying attention to any of this, I don't know that he's paying attention to much of any of it. Um, but uh, I think to whatever extent he is, it's probably a, a little bit different than he would go about it. Trying to imagine Zimmer working now in like a you know, like a millennial Gen Z open concept office with like snacks everywhere and the pool table and the ping pong table. That would just be, he's like the crusty old guy that's like, no, we do it this way. I don't like all this fun we're having now. I mean, like, yeah, like a Google, like Silicon Valley, like yeah. kind of tech office. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Yeah, like, like yoga or classes. Like <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals, if they hire him as their next defensive coordinator, under <laughs> Zach Taylor. I mean, it's possible he would end up working for a coach like this. Um, if he comes back to take a job, maybe he'll end up working for Sean Payton. I don't know, but um, it's possible he would have to exist in this environment. So I could, I could see uh, Jerry Jones reeling him in as some defensive assistant. Yeah, down, that down would make some sense in Dallas too. Um, going back to the to to Jerry world, the grandkids are down there, so that would make some sense. We should we should probably uh, talk more about the current. we uh we we should talk about we we heard from three assistant coaches and mike smith the former packers uh edge rusher outside linebacker coach current has the current same role with the minnesota vikings now we heard from offensive line coach chris cooper and receivers coach keenan mccardell who's one of just three assistants uh uh, kevin o'connell kept around on this staff from the previous staff um so we should get to some of what we heard from all three of them and how it's relevant to what this team is going to look like. I think one of the big things I learned from these mini camp practices, OTA practices that were open, there were only five of them total open throughout the four weeks uh, here in the past month. But each time I feel like we witnessed a different version or a different sub package of this defense uh, really capped with Wednesday's practice. Um, when I look up one time and I see, uh, six defensive linemen on the field and one linebacker. Then you look up and you see um, four edge rushers moving around in like a psycho package with just one defensive lineman down and Harrison Phillips. 
Um, then you look up and you see the traditional, what looks like a four, three, but then I talked to Dalvin Tomlinson after practice. And he's like, no, that's a three, four. It just looks that way. And our responsibilities are much different than what they were under Mike Zimmer. And so this defense is going to be a front kind of morphing, uh, defense. And we finally got to see it in, in play. And, and one of the biggest pieces that's going to stand out to everybody is, especially from what Mike Smith told us is Daniel Hunter is going to be moving around in a way that we're used to seeing Zadarius Smith do it in green Bay. And it comes, what stands to my mind is the 2019 game. Uh, Mike Smith had a quote where he said something about me, I'm going to put my best on your worst and I'm going to unleash him and have him beat you in that game in 2019 where Zadarius Smith had two and a half sacks at us bank stadium. And he was lined up almost all very frequently over center basically destroying Garrett Bradbury, destroying those guards yeah. in that interior offensive line. Uh, we're going to see some of that from not only Zadarius Smith in Minnesota, but uh, Daniel Hunter as well. There is a funhouse mirror, and we're not going to do this, but reporters who may be more sensational uh, than us or aggregators who may want to do this um, could take that quote, the I'm going to put my best on your worst, and go back to what did Mike Smith do with Zadarius Smith and who did he think – was the Vikings' worst, um, that's still the starting center for this team. So interesting uh, how these things turn when people play for different teams or coach for different teams. But we are going to see one of the big changes is we're going to see Daniel Hunter moving around, moving inside, outside, and uh, those guys lining up on the same side, pass rushing. That pass rush is going to look so much different because the way they did it before and manufactured that rush were all those blitz schemes and finding ways to – uh, get free runners at guys. And this time it's just going to be more of, no, we're just going to move guys around and have them win one-on-ones and try to scheme those up. Um, Mike, we saw this for many years as Ben points out in green Bay, beating the Vikings up front, whether it was Kenny Clark or Zadarius Smith. Um, what are your impressions of that kind of working in Minnesota under Ed Donatel, who's obviously the defensive coordinator, but Mike Smith and Mike Petton, who are assistants on this staff and obviously coming from green Bay. I like it. I like the idea of it. Right. I mean, it, it kind of goes to the whole O'Connell philosophy, right? I mean, it's not just a defensive philosophy. But O'Connell seems like the kind of coach that wants to create mismatches, create subtle, whether it's subtle or whether it's overt, you know, whether it's like lining up over somebody because you think you're just better than them or creating certain angles or certain edges or certain, you know, motioning into certain things. I mean, that's, you know, that's the whole kind of, if you had to isolate the Kevin O'Connell coaching philosophy, I feel like that's a, a, a big part of it is kind of, you know, doing little things that create these edges and then executing the play and, and going from there. So it makes a ton of sense. And when you've got someone as talented as Daniel Hunter, you should be able to do it. That should, that should work. You know, when you, you pair him with, with Zadarius Smith, it does seem like it's got the potential to, you know, not work on an every down basis, but disrupt and make some of those big kind of splash plays or you know get a team into a second and long or a third and long that that gets you off the field so i think it's it's just part of the evolution i think of of football it's not like the vikings wouldn't ever try to create mismatches but daniel hunter by and large lined up at defensive end and tried to beat the beat the tackle and that was kind of it so um i thought it was interesting though the the flip side of it was i'm probably going to get to this the offensive line coach basically saying the other thing where he said um, defenses are able to, with their personnel packages, isolate players specifically on the in- interior of the offense. And that was, he was talking about Bradbury. I think a lot of times 
It's the center because the center's at the fulcrum of the line. We're doing our own thing to defeat that with the guards helping out, and I think that's been good. We're taking some really good steps in the protection system so far. So, you know, I think uh, if, uh, if one side of the ball is conscious of how they've beaten Garrett Bradbury in the past, uh, the other side of the ball is conscious of how Garrett Bradbury has been beaten in the past. Yeah, we're not really going to know any strides Garrett has made until obviously they're allowed to hit and until training camp, until he can get pushed back. Because that was always the thing, right? It wasn't necessarily him, um, you know, identifying the wrong setups and, and setting up the wrong pass protections sets as the center, as, as the kind of captain of that line in terms of communicating. It was more of him just getting tossed backward. And we obviously, you're not going to see that because that contact is not allowed in spring practices. But Bradbury talked about how he is trying to put on weight. He said he doesn't have a target weight he's trying to reach, but he is back above 300 for the first time in a few years. He said he'd been playing below 300 the past couple years and, and that he'd often lose weight as the season went on and that he has a hard time keeping it on. And so with the new training staff, he said there's new nutrition people as well in the building that they're trying to really build that weight to last for him. And he's hoping that that helps him create a better anchor in front of Kirk cousins in the middle of that offensive line. Um, he had mentioned like often offensive linemen talk about and putting on good weight and finding a way to do that and how that has to happen over months, not just weeks of, uh, I think his quote was eating pizza or something like that. But Ben, is it that simple? I, I feel like we're at year four with him and these ups and downs and he's just now putting on some weight and trying to uh, address that. Um, it seems it seems like kind of a last ditch effort here to to salvage an NFL career. Yeah, I mean nobody's going to come out at this point and say, "Hey, it's just not going to happen." I mean, he's not going to say that. Coaches aren't going to say that. I think certainly it's the thing that you try because that has been the issue. It's not that he doesn't understand how to play the position. It's not that his technique is necessarily a problem it's just he's he's shorter and skinnier and probably not quite as strong as some of the guys he's facing and there are a lot of athletic pass rushers that bring a lot to bear in terms of speed strength flexibility all that kind of stuff but the vikings knew that when they took him i mean that that was it was not that different of a league three years ago as it is now it's not like they couldn't have seen that being a question so uh, this this was a known issue I think as they say in the tech world and you're kind of down to the last chance to try to fix it but yes I, I think when he's played as much as he has short of him uh, immediately turning into somebody who's able to to uh, handle a, a, a big athletic defensive tackle on his own I'm not sure you're going to get a lot different from him you're still going to probably need help um, you may have to find ways to to slide some other linemen toward him to help with some of these matchups. But I don't think there's a lot else you can try. I mean, I certainly get why they're trying what they're trying and there's, there's nothing else you can do, but um, the conclusion to it could well be that, Hey, it's just not going to work at least not as we're trying to use you. The Vikings have had so many different guards to starting alongside of them. It's, it's not like he's had, yeah. Pro bowlers or all pros next to him. Uh, pro, bowlers. pro bowlers. Um, Oli Udo is the latest to get phased out. The latest starter that was next to him. Uh, so to Vikings get, beat inside joke there, kids. To get completely phased out. 
I was pulling up quick here in my list. I'd went through and after the Vikings drafted another second round guard and at Ingram this year, I went back and counted up all the guards that have started for this offense, just started a regular season game. This isn't even just appeared in a game. This is started a regular season game. Since um, when? And so this, I, I've got the list going back to 2016 and because 2015 was the last year they had two guards start every single game. And that was Mike Harris and Brandon Fusco in that playoff year. Um, but so just with Garrett Bradbury, we have seen, and this is both left and right guard. We have seen Pat Elfline, Josh Klein, Dakota Dozier, Aviant Collins. We have seen Drew Samia, Ezra Cleveland, and Brett Jones. And we have seen Oli Udo and Mason Cole. So that's nine. Uh, yeah, eight or nine guards start mm. total on either side of Garrett Bradbury. And I'm not sure if maybe there's a game in there where Garrett didn't start and, and there was another guard in there. But point being, it's been a lot. And it's been 17 different guards to start games for them going back to 2016 in the last six years. And so, who among those guards would you, would you even say is above average? Like, I was going to say, when Mike yelled nine there, he sounded like an angry German yelling no. Nine. No. No. <laughs> Man, there, there's a fair number of Vikings fans in Germany. So there could be some of that going on. Josh, like, they made kind of a big deal when they signed Josh Klein, right? Like, wasn't he okay? But everybody else is like, really? Like, no wonder he's not been that good. I mean, on top of being undersized, he's got no help next to him. I would say Ezra Cleveland maybe last year would be the best yeah. guard he's had yes. on one side of him. Um, but, yeah, going, I mean, 2016 to 2018 wasn't much better. Alex Boone, Jeremiah Searles, Joe Berger, Brandon Fusco, Nick Easton, Danny Isadora, Mike Remmers, uh, Tom Compton, and that was it from 2016 to 2018. So another – Eight different or seven. How many inches of copy do we think ran in the Star Tribune uh, in May, June, and July of those years where each one of those guys was in town for the first time with some variation of, hey, this guy might be the solution to the problem? Yeah, hey, this this might be it. The latest yeah, I, guy. I would, my guess is uh, more than we'd like to admit. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's the time of year, though, right? This is yeah, it's like best shape of your life in baseball in March. I mean, everybody – Everybody's looking for something to write about and teams are trying to sell optimism and players are trying to convince everybody, convince themselves. And that's what we get. That's what Bradbury's gotten. And so now it's going to be He's, an eight. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say it's the Adrian Peterson's going to catch passes story. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got some run out of that one too. Didn't we? Every year. Or Cordero Patterson has learned to run a post route. Or this, <laughs> I'll tell you this, this new coordinator is really going to, do good things for Kyle Rudolph. That that was a that was an annual that was a an evergreen story too. Got a lot of cracks at that one too, since there was always a new coordinator. Oh, we got some mileage on that one, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, there will be an 18th different guard to start for the Minnesota Vikings in the past seven seasons, at least, because it's either going to be Jesse Davis, uh, Chris Reed, or the rookie Ed Ingram. It might be all three of them. By the time the season's over, I don't think you can play all at once. That'd be weird. <laughs> Depending on how the jumbo package goes. seven linemen every down. Let's go. And Ed oh, Ingram is not on a contract. It's still not. That's right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if that helps Garrett. We'll see if uh, the added weight and maybe the added weight to the right of him and either Jesse Davis or uh, Chris Reed might help him out. 
um, Chris Cooper's basically mentioned the O-line coach. He basically mentioned it's going to be down to those three that I just mentioned. He had said three guys are going to get a chance and then mentioned all three of those guys. So for the Wyatt Davis fans out there, I, I wouldn't hold your breath because at least the O-line coach indicated that that's not really in the plans right now. Wyatt Davis has been working with the second team offense at the left guard spot uh, as Ed Ingram works at the right guard spot and Reed and Davis have been rotating with the first team at what? right guard. Hey, Wyatt Davis fans checking in from Sanibel Island, Florida, at least according to my sources, may not be happy. <laughs> what exactly happened in the third round of the 2021 draft? Oh boy. They got somebody they drafted a bunch of guys. Didn't they have four third rounders <laughs> that haven't done diddly? Yeah. Yeah. Kellen Mon, Wyatt Davis, Patrick Jones, the best get off in the group, Mike Smith noted, uh, and Chaz Surratt. I was just going to mention all Mike. of them have been effectively replaced with another mid-round pick. I was just going to mention Mike Smith would have us believe that Patrick Jones uh, can be something in this 3-4 defense. Uh, he also mentioned Janarius Robinson as well, DJ Wanham. They're going to need one, two, three of those guys to step up and, and be some kind of reserve role for them to give Smith and Hunter at least a little bit of a breather in some of these games. Very pithy, Mike Smith, by the way. He uh, he said Janarius Robinson's arms are so long he can scratch his ankles standing up. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, he had a few of those. He's uh he's he's good for a one liner. I read I read the transcript. He's he's coaching with a broken r- repaired wrist because he fell out of a treehouse. <laughs> he was apparently 22 feet up trying to saw the last thing, the last I don't know why he was sawing for 22 feet up. I, I didn't quite get the, the geometry of that, but he was trying to make a final cut on his kid's treehouse and fell out of the tree and basically broke his, his wrist has a rod, I think right through the middle of it uh, such that he, I think I, I couldn't quite tell, but he may be able to just hold up his hand towards a ref. If he was upset and say, no, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't trying to flip you off. It was just uh I've got a rod <laughs> surgically inserted in my finger. Final cuts are the toughest. They are. <laughs> First cut is the deepest, but the final cut is the toughest. Uh, all right. Let, let's talk about Keenan McCardo. Not Cheryl Crow songs? No, not, not, not <laughs> the uh, – wasn't she Canadian, the great Canadian Cheryl Crow? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, Keenan McCardell, one of the few assistant holdovers under Kevin O'Connell's staff and in part, because as Kevin O'Connell mentioned way back at the Combine, his relationship with those receivers, the camaraderie, chemistry, all the stuff we've been talking about, uh, what Keenan had established with these wide receivers, namely Justin Jefferson, uh, as the most important relationship on this team, perhaps, um, that was one of the big reasons they kept Keenan McCardell or Kevin O'Connell decided to keep. Keenan McCardell on this staff and McCardell talked a little bit about, he had some good anecdotes about how the receivers still find him whenever he shows one of his highlights back from his 17 year NFL career um, and ribbed Adam Thielen for not even having as many catches now in Minnesota as McCardell had in six years in Jacksonville. Um, So you could tell that some of this stuff is legit. And obviously the way that Jefferson and Thielen went to bat for him publicly on social media before they even rehired Keenan McCardell would obviously speak to that themselves, but Ben and Mike, these, this, this relationship with Jefferson, keeping Jefferson happy, keeping him under contract with the Minnesota Vikings long-term is obviously one of this, these franchises biggest goals here. Uh, we saw Cooper cup sign a contract extension recently 
where the new money average is nearing 27 million. That's actually a bargain in the yep. NFL right now because Tyreek Hill set the market at 30 million with the Miami Dolphins per season. Quarterback money, almost Kirk Cousins money, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> so, how are they going to go about keeping Justin Jefferson happy when winning a Super Bowl gets you a discount at 27 million for a wide receiver? Win a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, it's easy as that. Not hard. <laughs> well, and you probably should note too that uh, what the Chiefs kind of couldn't pay Hill anymore once Mahomes got expensive. So once Jefferson gets expensive, how much can they pay the quarterback? I don't know. It's a, that's a question for another day, I suppose. And it will, a lot of that'll be determined by what happens this year, by the way, on the fly uh, fact checking, Cheryl Crow is most definitely not Canadian. Did you say that? I thought she was, she was born in Missouri. She's not Canadian. Um, She's 16. She's 60 years old, by the way, in case you wanted to feel super old today, you may be thinking of Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette's definitely Canadian. Canadian. Rockers. Um, Gordon Lightfoot is Canadian. If you're confusing, like every punk band in the late 1990s um, is Canadian. Yeah. Some Brian, 41, some Brian Adams. Maybe you're confusing Cheryl Crew and Brian Adams. Ryan yeah, Reynolds. Yeah. Maybe I'm Canadian. confusing him with Rush, Nickelback. Shania Twain. <laughs> By the way, did you see the Angels use Nickelback songs for all their starters when they, that was just like the game after they fired Joe Madden and they got shut out. It was like the gimmick they tried. They, they had Nickelback songs for their entire walk-up music and they lost one to nothing. Their 14th loss in a row. Joe Madden was like a big classic rock guy. So maybe it was a, we're going to play terrible maybe. rock music to troll him. I don't know. I don't know. They, anyway, they lost. But Cheryl Crow, born in Missouri, not Canadian. In Michael J. Fox is Canadian. Who is? Hey. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. A lot of Canadians, <laughs> but a lot of Canadians, but not Cheryl Crow. Anyway, um, Justin yeah, Trudeau, it's be, Canadian. It's going to be hard to keep Justin Jefferson, who is definitely also not Canadian, um, <laughs> happy. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He's uh, that that cup contract was interesting because what's the market going to be for Jefferson? I, I know it's just his first contract, not his second. But God, I mean, these guys, he's he's just as good, if not better. Was he going to be a thirty million dollar a year guy? That might be the problem too. Is that it is his first contract because you're not having to hesitate and say, well, I, you know, we're paying this guy and he's 29 or something. I mean, it, you're going to be paying him when he's like 24, 25. So you, his camp can, and I'm sure they will make the case that you can pay for these years with the confidence that you're going to get good production. It's not based so much just on what he did in the past It's what you're going to get out of him in the future. And it is going to be really, really, really interesting to see how that goes because he's aware of it. I think he will plan to to get his when he gets a chance to do it, and I, I think players should because it's it's not every day that you get to make that much money and you can get that money taken away from you pretty quickly too. So um, they are going to have to make a decision because you can't pay him and pay Cousins – Especially if I, I think you can pay them both if Cousins' contracts are structured differently than they are. I think it's hard to pay both of them if Cousins is working on these two and three year deals that don't allow you to kick money down the road and amortize signing bonuses and, and be able to massage the cap numbers. It, it's just, it's really difficult to do that. He's gotten a lot of leverage out of his contracts that way. And I think it's worked well for him, but it does make it hard to kind of play the the Tetris game and, and fit everything in. So um, 
maybe it's not Cousins that's a quarterback by the time they pay Jefferson anyway, but that arrangement, I think, makes it very difficult to figure out how to do it. And the longer they wait, like quarterbacks, the longer they wait, the more expensive it gets. Mm -hmm. Jefferson is eligible after this year. So a year from now, he'll be eligible to sign a new contract, but the Vikings have team control through two years after that. So basically the next three seasons through that fifth-year option. Then they also have the franchise tag if the negotiations weren't to go the, the way that uh, Jefferson wants. But just, just to illustrate how quickly these things move, I was looking up the wide receiver, you know, highest paid per year guys. And I saw Amari Cooper way down the list at $20 million per season. I thought, boy, didn't he just sign a deal that made him one of the highest paid receivers like two years ago? And he did. He signed a five-year, $100 million deal in 2020 that made him one of the highest paid, I think, top three wide receivers at the time. And he's currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. So six guys, I think, have surpassed him in that, in that span. That includes Stefan Diggs, uh, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, uh, obviously Cooper Cup. So a lot of guys quickly jump higher and higher. And these salaries have just ballooned now. There are four different receivers or five different receivers, if you include Cup, getting paid at least $25 million per year. DK um, Metcalf probably also uh, getting in line for that in the near future. A whole lot, whole lot and of money. Samuel. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that contract too. That's that's getting negotiated. Um, all right. Well, we got a couple questions that we can get to that were pretty decent ones uh, from listeners. On the rest of you are terrible on social media. <laughs> um, Be better. Let's get to one from Thomas Beck. Had one saying, "With the drafting of Lewis Seen, where does that leave Cam Bynum in terms of the secondary depth chart?" Um, Cam Bynum obviously started two games last year as a rookie, came on as kind of a revelation and did really, really well uh, in that role, starting for Harrison Smith when he was on the COVID list. So well that Mike Zimmer kind of adjusted what he was doing in the secondary to get Cam Bynum on the field and use Harrison Smith as a kind of pseudo slot defender. Ben, we might see more of that, right? With yeah. Ed Donatel and how many defensive backs they plan on using in this scheme. Yeah, I think, I think we got into this a little bit recently but the the number of sub packages i think we're going to see is going to be a lot more than what we saw with mike zimmer because there was kind of there was not a lot of variation in the personnel it, it was kind of four three or nickel for the most part they, they switched that up a little bit they kind of got their three three five package in different spots last year maybe the last couple of years but we didn't see a ton of of different packages with mike zimmer's defenses i think we are going to see more of that with Ed Donatel. So that probably leaves more opportunities for Cam Bynum, even if he's the third safety, because I think they'll find roles for a lot of those players. And it's going to be trying to disguise coverages in maybe different situations that are better for one guy over the other. Um, injuries certainly could play into it as well. But yeah, I, I think there'll be a role. I think I think it'd be better to be the third safety in this defense than it would have been under the old arrangement because there just wasn't the same mix and match kind of approach under Mike Zimmer that it seems like there's going to be under Ed Donatel. Yeah. And just watching these spring practices, we saw Cam Bynum doing quite a bit on the field, obviously being the starter when they didn't have Lewis seen in there, but Lewis seen started to get some first team reps here this week during their mandatory mini camp. And when Lewis seen was in there, we still saw Cam Bynum getting in there quite a bit with Harrison Smith and seen 
as they would kind of mix things around, drop one of the safeties low and kind of use these guys as middle of the field defenders as well. Uh, there was even some dime package stuff where Josh Metellus was getting involved. Uh, I'm not quite sure how frequent we're going to see that, but um, they might instead go with Seen, Bynum, Smith, and then Chandon Sullivan, Patrick Peterson, and then whoever the third corner is, if it's still Cameron Dancer or if it's Andrew Booth by then, uh, those might end up being the top six defensive backs. But uh, so much of that was fluid throughout the spring as they didn't get the rookies in there right away. Um, Greg wants to know who will be the biggest surprise cut come late August. This roster doesn't have a ton of veterans on the Brian Robinson surprise cut plan. I don't, I'm not too sure. Like, what do you guys think? I, I can't really lose in a while. Have we not? Yeah. The Terrence Newman cut him and try to make him a coach right away thing. I, yeah, we yeah. haven't, we haven't seen. No, I, I think the past few years, the roster got so young and they weeded out that middle class so much. We really didn't see much of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we had Alex Boone. We had the Terrence Newman thing. We had Brian Robinson. Um, it's been a while since we had one. Um, I don't know. I, maybe one of those scars they signed. Um, if Jesse Davis is guaranteed money is not prohibitive, which I don't think it is. You know, if he doesn't get the job at Chris Reed, I think it's a two-year deal. Um, so that may be a little different story, but I could see one of those maybe. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, but um, yeah, there's not a lot of obvious candidates or at least guys that whose money would make sense to do it. I'll say either Sean Mannion or Greg Joseph. Sean Mannion. I don't know why they'd cut Sean Mannion. I just, I just tired of him. I, I, he's, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. And he never plays, and he Kirk likes him. He's good in the room. once. Had to play once. Um, oh, twice, but I can think of one recently. What about one of these recent draft picks? What if they just cut Wyatt Davis? I don't know if that'd be a big yeah. surprise. I don't know be, that could be. Yeah. Or Mond. What if they just cut Mond? I, that was my first guess. Would they cut Mond? <laughs> Boy. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure about that, but I guess we I'm have to either. see. We we'd have to see just how, how training camp goes. But yeah, maybe some of these 2020 or 2021 draft picks that we're talking about. Yeah, guys that that they don't have any allegiance to that they may not have seen the same way. I, yeah, I think that'd be a possibility. Um yeah, I that, that's probably as good a guess as any. They made a big change at kicker. They're going to need uh, the undrafted rookie Gabe Burkich to do a little bit better than he did on Wednesday to cap the, the final practice. He missed two of his four kicks while Greg Joseph made them all. So the incumbent kind of got the the hot end to the off season heading into this one. Um, were, they scream- have- were they screaming at him? Were they, they making weird? They weren't this time. Okay. They must have felt our uh, our mocking on that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I um I also don't think it was it was kind of sad without KJ Osborne and Amir Smith Marset out there to see what they were throwing out there at punt returner. Um it was um it was rookie Jalen Naylor. It okay. was a, a wide receiver named Thomas Hennigan. And it was Albert Wilson, the veteran wide receiver they signed, who at least according to pro football reference has never returned a punt in an NFL game. So good time to learn. It's 2022 and Marcus Sherrill's is uh, the ghost of Marcus Sherrill's is still strolling around those fields. Mm. Mm. Five touchdowns, five seasons. Let's go. 
Marcus Sherrills. They, they could use you. Call them up. Call them up. <laughs> All right. That'll be it for this episode of the Axis Vikings podcast. We'll take a little bit of a break this summer before coming back to you in training camp at the end of July.